Ow! Oh, sorry guys. Those are just the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. But thanks to Manscaped for turning those loud shrieks into multiple peaks. And guys, you can change those shrieks into just quiet while you shave down below the belt by getting Manscaped for yourself or for anyone else so you don't have to hear. Maybe your neighbors make those shrieks. But for yourself, you need to take care of yourself and you need to get Manscaped in order to do that. And guys, their Lawnmower 3.0 is the best razor out there. I don't care about what area of the body we're talking about. It's simply the best because they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created. But guys, not only does Manscaped make the best razor out there, they also have some great products to go along with it. And if you get the Perfect Package 3.0, it comes with the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant, the Crop Reviver, a spray-on toner and refresher, and it comes with a travel bag, disposable shaving mats, and the comfiest set of anti-chafing boxers you have ever worn. And not only that, but if you use the magical code DNVR20, you'll get 20% off your entire purchase plus free shipping. So smash that code DNVR20 at Manscaped for 20% off your purchase, free shipping, and get the best products out there. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the courage for mile high, the best part of the weekend, hugging the perfect stranger as they become Welcome, welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this hump day edition. We get mad Wednesday. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my man, Andrew Mason. And before we get mad, and I'll tell you what, we are going to get mad. I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. Guys, MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. A lot of you guys have heard about MSU Denver because it's right in our backyard here in Denver, Colorado. But for some of you that are out of state, you can take advantage of this as well. So regardless of if you're across the street from MSU Denver or if you're across uh, the world, you can take advantage of MSU Denver online. So go check them out at msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. They have over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So whether you want to start a degree, finish a degree, or just take a class here or there, MSU Denver can do it. So check them out, msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, what is going on? <laughs> oh, not too much. Beautiful morning here. Got uh, some soccer on the television. It's nice to have actual live team sports again. Even though they're not in our backyard, it's actually good to have some sporting events on that I can be watching while I work down here. This is much, this is much better. We're taking steps forward, even though... They're going to be steps back along the way, too. It's just it's nice to have some games, even though they're not football games. It's nice it's, to have some games. It's very nice to have some games. And also, I mean, certainly not getting mad about the news 
coming out of the MLB yesterday that it certainly mm. does look like there's an agreement in place now. Baseball is going to be back in just about a month, just about the time that not only do we get hockey and we get basketball, but that's when training camp's supposed to start too. Boy, if everything stays to pace, which could be a big if, but if everything stays to pace, man, we're going to have quite an August and September. And then, heck, we're going to have a great October, November, December, January, and dare I say February, Mace? Yeah, I, I, I salute your optimism. However, <laughs> the, the one thing I will say is that I still – I still know that this is going to be up and down. This is not going to be a straight incline in terms of getting sports back where we want it to be. But uh, it's the general trend as far as figuring, figuring things out is positive, even though you can look, for, look at matters of concern. You see some NBA players pulling out for, for health concerns, especially in regards to their, their family or uh, beyond themselves. So everything i mean the coronavirus and the impact on sports you know we're all kind of flying blind a little bit but it's good to have some targets in place and then you just cross your fingers and say hopefully we'll get there and hopefully we're going to have some games yeah i totally agree with that but mace before we think too long term we need to get mad and courtesy of cbs sports for putting together uh, a list of the top 10 division rivalries in football. And this got your blood boiling yesterday. You wanted to talk about it yesterday. And I said, well, we got to save it for We Get Mad Wednesday. And Mesa, I think what that did was that just made your blood boil over this even more. I mean, uh, are you about to explode? I may not explode as <laughs> I've been capable of in the past. Let me just say this. This is, this is maybe the dumbest list I've ever read. Oh, wow. Starting fiery. I love it. Okay, and here's why. It says, let's rate the top 10 divisional rivalries. That's fine. That's interesting. And the lead is terrible. It says, the definition of a rivalry is a, quote, competition for the same objective or for superiority in the same field, unquote. So it gets me going right away because like the dictionary definition is literally the laziest thing you can come up with. It's <laughs> one step worse, worse than it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> also Mace, I just, I just completely disagree with that. And maybe I'm disagreeing with the dictionary, but when we're talking about a rivalry in sports, it's, it goes further than just uh, competing for the same goal. Then, then you could say, uh, the Broncos and Dolphins have a great rivalry because they they compete for the same thing every year, and that's to win games and that's to win the Super Bowl. I mean, come on, that's that's lazy. Oh yeah, all aboard for that uh, Broncos Buccaneers rivalry. They've <laughs> I mean, exactly they they literally at one point went near, went eleven years without playing each other. Oh, man. Okay. So the other thing about this, beyond the lead being lazy, is that in this list, the author chose to limit each team to one rivalry. Mm. Yeah, that does seem like If a team has tons of rivalries, why would you limit that? Right. That's, that's just arbitrary. That's nonsense. I mean, why, why punish teams because they have 
uh, multiple great rivalries. But you, you absolutely shouldn't be. So, so because of that, it does a countdown from 10 to 1. So and Mace, are you yeah. mad because the Broncos didn't make this list? I'm I'm mad at what they chose. They said for the Broncos, the gotta rivalry be, that we're going to choose gotta is... Got to be the Chiefs, right? No. Got to be the Raiders, right? No. What? The Chargers. What? <laughs> what? The most bland rivalry in the division. I mean, when you're talking from a Broncos perspective. Oh, man. The Broncos haven't been in the same division with the Seahawks since 2001. And I could make a case <laughs> that that rivalry is better than the Chargers. No offense to the Chargers. Oh, my goodness. That is – that kind of blows up the argument right there that he has. Oh. <laughs> Holy cow. This is a mess. This is just a mess. So, Chargers-Broncos is 10th. And so, by extension, they've chosen to, to, to shoot their shot and say Chiefs-Raiders is the top and at least in the AFC West. And that's the one they're going to list for those teams. And Chiefs Raiders was fourth. All right. Pretty significant difference between the Chiefs and Raiders and Broncos and whoever they were going to be matched up against. Yeah. And because they're only listing each team once, that's basically saying that uh, the Chargers and Broncos come in 19th and 20th when it comes to having rivalries. Zach, I have never done a list of NFL rivalries, even going back to my NFL.com working on the desk days 20 years ago. I've never done a list that didn't have Broncos Raiders in the top five. (laughs) And number one in the AFC West, clearly. Yeah. To me, it's Broncos Raiders. Now we're talking about not just the moment we're talking about history. Mm -hmm. So there is a case to be made that it goes Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, Raiders, and then Broncos, Chiefs, if you're, if, you, if you're throwing out this ridiculous clause of saying you only rank one team, each team once. But to me, if we're also saying, okay, this is the scope of history, yeah, Chiefs, Raiders was popping back in the 60s and has had some flare-ups here and there. But – I'd say Chiefs Broncos is yeah. ahead of Chiefs Raiders. Yeah. They've, they've played more least, meaningful games, especially over the last three decades. Yeah, and, and Macy, you're exactly right. I think the, the Broncos' two rivalries would be at least in the top three, if not the top two there. And I think this is where he must have gone wrong and got confused about the Broncos' rivalries between the Chiefs and the Raiders is – Maybe he let the last four years of Broncos uh, kind of change his mindset on this. But, I mean, it's not like the Raiders have been good and competitive either. If that was the case, then I'd say, okay, he made an honest mistake. Uh, he forgot about the last – or he, he put too much weight into the last four years of the Broncos. Because have the Broncos had a great rivalry in the past four years? No, not really. But I would still put the Raiders and Chiefs uh, above the Chiefs and Raiders uh, over the last four years. But – um, I mean, heck, with Broncos Raiders, you had uh, Akeem Tlaib and Michael Crabtree. That, that's kind of a rivalry right there. But mm-hmm. I think one thing that a rivalry needs to have 
it needs to be competitive. There needs to be a back and forth, right? And that's kind of why the, the Broncos and Raiders specifically hasn't felt like a great rivalry like it was in, in the 90s and, and like it was throughout so many decades, Mace, is because uh, you have the Raiders, bad. You have the Broncos be great and just dominate the Raiders in these last couple of years. You've just had some mad games within Akeem Tlaib, Michael Crabtree, chain pulling, swinging punches, fight, which was fun. But, I mean, <laughs> in terms of on-the-field stuff, you, you haven't really had the juice there. So I could get why if you were looking at just the past five years, you would forget about this. But rivalries, look, look at a bigger portion. And Mace, I, have, I, I was hoping that he was uh, this article on CBS was going to convince me, okay, maybe there is more of a case than I was thinking. And when I read what he wrote, Mace, it, it just has me saying even more, this is not a rivalry. This is not one of the great rivalries in football because it doesn't have that competitive balance. Now, the Broncos lead the series 68-52. to 52. Depending on how the games go, that could be competitive. But what he goes and breaks down is how it hasn't been competitive. You know, he starts off by saying uh, the Chargers owned this rivalry at the beginning of time, going 15-5. and five. Then the Broncos turn around and win 11 of 12 games during the next stretch. And then uh, the, the Chargers get some momentum, win a lot of games in a row. Then the Broncos do. Then, of course, in 2006 to 2011, the Chargers owned the Broncos, uh, winning nine of their next uh, or of their 11 games against the Broncos. Then, of course, with Peyton Manning, uh, the Broncos won eight of their nine games. That is that seems like it would never really be that juicy of a rivalry. If, if you know, okay, these 15 years, San Diego is going to dominate these next 15 years. The Broncos are going to dominate. Okay. The next year, next 10 years, San Diego, next 10 years, Broncos. That to me, that that's, that's hard to sell uh, as a great rivalry. A very, very hard to sell. I mean, I look at this and it's just, I mean, you literally have the, the least of the rivalries in the division right now. <laughs> and even though you say, oh, it's got one, it's one to keep an eye on with new eras with Drew Locke and Justin Herbert under center. How often, when you looked at the Broncos' schedule, did you say the two games with the Chargers are going to be the biggest ones? Yeah. When you've got the, the ones that really excite you. How often has that happened compared to how often you've looked at the Chiefs games and then the Raiders games? And yes, even though the Raiders have struggled most of the last two decades, we are taking the scope of history here and the massive games they played in the 70s, 80s, and into the, the, the early 90s. They've played significant postseason games, both in the 1977 season and then the 93 season. And then even now, and to me, this is part of a rivalry as well, is that even when both teams are shaky, they play games that have extra fire to them. <laughs> yeah. And for Broncos Raiders, I mean, you talk about the Aqib Tlaib pulling the chain. <laughs> both teams were down that year. They were, they were, they were crap. Oh, yeah. It's, Let's just be honest, in 2017. And yet, here it is, two lousy teams on a rainy day playing a game that 
crackled with emotion, fire, and intensity. I, there's, let's put it this way. There's a reason why you keep seeing Broncos Raiders chosen for prime time a lot of years. Obviously, not the case this year, but the late Monday night opener last year, Monday night on Christmas Eve the year before. The reason why those games end up being selected for Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football, more, more often than others is because if you're a network, especially if you're ESPN and you don't have flexible scheduling for Monday night football, you're saying, okay, we need to insure ourselves a little bit in case both teams are down. So how do we still get a compelling game if both teams happen to be struggling? We get a rivalry because Broncos Raiders is going to be interesting and have compelling storylines, even when they both stink. Uh, Bears Packers, same thing. Dallas and Washington, same thing. Falcons Saints, that that's another one that, uh, that that's on this list that I actually on my list I have I have higher, but that's one that is in in invariably an intense game, even if both teams are terrible. Yeah, yeah, and and Mace, the the way I look at it and in a different way, just to make sure that that I'm not selling this argument short, is let's say the Broncos are playing for a spot in the playoffs week 17. They're hosting a team. The let's say the chargers Raiders and chiefs all have the same record. They're all fighting for the exact same thing. Which game is the juiciest in my mind, in this opinion, chargers? No, not at all. They're bottom, bottom of the list. Raiders and Chiefs, I mean, th- th- you can make an argument and you're not going to go wrong with your argument of one, 1A and 1B. You know, you probably do put the Raiders up there, um, it, especially if they have the same record as the Chiefs. Pro- Raiders probably edge out the Chiefs. But if you were to pick the Chiefs, I don't think you're, you're totally wrong there. But the Chargers don't even come into this conversation, Mace. They're, no. they're so, so <laughs> far back. Yeah. They don't. It doesn't. It doesn't move the needle in the same way. Think. Think back to last year, the end of the season, and we all. Some of us wrung our hands a little bit, myself included, about the fact that the win cost the Broncos draft position. But you had a significant and vocal component of Broncos country that was saying, "No, you play to win, and you especially play to win, no matter what, against the Raiders." Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you do. Because you don't want them. You, you, you never want them to, to have that two game winning streak against you. Never. Right. Ra- Raider week, even though it has lost some of the luster because of the Raiders struggles over the last two decades. I've been around this team long enough. So the Raider week still means something in that locker room. Don't mean something in that building, something different, something more energized, something special. Yep. And, it get, and, and it gets passed down from generation to generation. And, I and, think so, if you were, and then you have like the, the Tlaib Crabtree thing just adds to the lore of it. So it has to be a top rivalry. I, actually, on my list, and taking out these silly, you can only have each team once. On my list of league-wide rivalries in, inside a division, it's third. Mm. Where, trailing where, only 
sorry, trailing only Bears, Packers, and Washington, Dallas. Fair. Very fair, and that just shows you how, how powerful. Now, where, where would you put uh, Broncos Chiefs after that? Broncos Chiefs falls into the, the second group of five here because I go with Ravens Steelers number four and then number, and then number five Cowboys Eagles. Okay. Then you get to Packers Vikings. Broncos Chiefs, I have seventh just ahead of Falcons Saints. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So two Mace, two of Mace's rivalries for the Broncos in the division are in the top ten. And it's not the single one that is on CBS's list. That is mm-hmm. that's something to get mad about. And it's, it's something else, Mace is I think I think that uh that he tips his cap a little here by by showing uh, the the more recent history played a lot more into this by going um, Cowboys Eagles or, or by going yeah Cowboys Eagles instead mm-hmm. of uh, Cowboys Redskins right yeah now that being said you could make a strong case because the NFC East is kind of like the AFC West especially the AFC West among the Chiefs Raiders and Broncos the NFC East you could take almost any rivalry and argue for it in the top ten. Right. Any matchup. You could take Giants-Cowboys. You could take Giants-Eagles. Eagles-Cowboys. Washington and the Giants. All of them have a case. It's, it's Even though there is that East Coast bias, the rivalries are extremely intense in that division. It's a big part of why when they realigned in 2002 that even though Dallas geographically doesn't fit they kept them with those teams. But the other thing, but as I, as I went through this, I started thinking to myself, okay, imagine what rivalries could be if the divisions really were geographically aligned. Uh, think of what rivalries we're missing out on because you have teams that are a little bit helter-skelter in their placement. We're missing out on Ravens, Washington, for example, Baltimore, Washington, separated by literally 40 miles. Right. We're missing out on Steelers Eagles, which could be something exceptional. The battle for Pennsylvania, Bucks Dolphins. Yeah. Why would you? Actually, Bucks Dolphins, sorry, Bucks Dolphins, for a while they had to cancel the preseason series years ago because they kept getting in fights in the preseason. Oh my gosh, that and is of, I, that's what makes a rivalry. And of course, Jets, you know, Jets Giants. And if you want to do something for the Chargers, find a way to have them play the Rams every year. Right. That's where that 17th game comes in and we don't know what they're going to do scheduling-wise with it whether it's going to be done by say your placement in the conference or or something else some other algorithm, but I beg and plead the NFL to use that that 17th game and give each team a permanent rival outside of their division to try to create some rivalries that are just opportunities waiting to happen. I mean, the Chargers need to play the Rams every year. They need something to try to, to, drum, to drum up that market. I mean, it's, it's not enough that, you know, they have the, great, the best uniforms in Los Angeles. There's no question about that. But that's not enough. 
You've got the Raiders going to the desert in Las Vegas and Arizona kind of out there. Why, why don't you start creating a desert rivalry? Why don't you get a Texans and Cowboys playing every year? Yeah, that'd be great. This is, it's such an opportunity for the NFL. Well, and apparently, Mace, the NFL needs rivalries if Broncos Chargers are coming in at number <laughs> 10 in interdivision rivalries. So I've never been more on board with your idea of getting this 17th game to be a rivalry game that you play every single year. I, I, I love it more than ever now. Okay, so let's go, go back to the Broncos and their rivalry because I wanted to ask you something. And as we were thinking about this, I thought it was I was going to ask – whoever else was with me on this, whether it was you or you and RK. Who is the Broncos' biggest rival in the division? Right now? I mean, I've, made my, I've made my case for the Raiders. But you can even say it right now, or you can say it over the long haul. If because looking, the answer may not be the same. Yeah, right now, I would say the Chiefs. Okay. Um, and I, I think probably every team in the division would say that because they're the one that everyone's chasing. They're, they're the one that everyone, every team should get the most up for every time they play for. But over time, Mace, I think it's the Raiders. And the, the way that I answer that question is I think if you were to talk to Broncos players from every single decade, I think the consensus, maybe not everyone, but, but I think uh, the, the idea would be that it was the Raiders. And I think that's how you kind of have to look at this. Um, if, if you want to look at it, look at it from the player's perspective from every single decade. And I think more than not, more guys would say the Raiders than any other team. Mm -hmm. And even recent guys like Akeem Tlaib would probably say the Raiders. <laughs> yes, yes, he would. <laughs> and and be, be, because, yes, the, the Chiefs were um, a good team, even when the Broncos had Peyton Manning. But the Broncos had no issues taking care of the Chiefs, Raiders, or Chargers. In fact, um, the, the Broncos' biggest rival in terms of, like, it was actually competitive was clearly the Patriots during this time. You have to go out of the division to find that. And actually, in, in the Peyton Manning years, if you're talking about competitive games – during the Peyton Manning years, it was the Chargers. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Which you may say, well, that <laughs> illustrates the point of the story, but not really because the, the Chargers game has uh, fallen back in terms of uh, value over the last few years. And certainly with the soccer stadium and the team being in L.A., it's lost even more of its punch. But when Peyton Manning was with the Broncos and Phillip Rivers was still in his prime, you had some big games. They did play in the playoffs, a game that might have turned out differently if Chris Harris Jr. had been injured earlier in that game. I mean, basically, at the end, you recall the Broncos were just hanging on by the skin of their teeth as the Chargers were coming back and as Phillip Rivers was just picking on Quentin Jammer over and over and over again <laughs> to bring them back. But remember... The Chargers had beaten the Broncos in Denver a month earlier on Thursday night football. Yep. The game where he picked at Kayvon Webster over yep. and over. And, of course, if you're talking about the most memorable games of the Peyton Manning era, you can't make that list without the comeback in San Diego 
in yep. 2012 yep. when the Broncos were down 24 nothing, matching the comeback against Seattle in 1979 for the greatest second-half rally in the history of the Broncos. I mean, one of the most incredible games that, yeah, Broncos will remember. So it doesn't mean that the Broncos haven't had good games against the Mm -hmm. Chargers. It just means that it fails uh, big time compared to to the other rivalries. And Mace, my last point on this is to have a great rivalry. I think you got to have the fans into it too. Mm. And so when you think of Raiders fans, what do you think, Mace? Especially from from a Broncos perspective. When I think of Raiders fans, I think of a threatening and intimidating environment. Yeah. Something that I wonder whether it's still going to be there in Las Vegas or not. And that's why just because we're saying Broncos Raiders is the greatest rivalry now, at least, or historically, it doesn't mean that the answer might not be different in a few years if they get to the big Roomba in the desert. <laughs> and the spice, the intimidation, the intensity is not there, in part because I think you can reasonably expect that over time a good chunk of Bronco fans are going to find their way in for Raiders games. And I don't think you're going to have the atmosphere have the same raw, jagged edge to it that it did in Oakland. That, see, that, that part of it was for a long time, you had either the Oakland Coliseum or then the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, which was intimidating in its own way. And then the Broncos at their end had Old Mile High and the South Stands and fans pelting the Raiders with objects and verbal fusillades that just added to the the mystique of it. It It was an intimidating rivalry at both, venues it was and now it, not that it's not hasn't been intimidating at new mile high but it certainly has lost some of the danger yeah. that i think the raiders felt when they came into denver and now you're taking it out of the other side of it because the raiders are leaving the black hole for the big black hockey puck <laughs> exactly and and mace before they left though and when they were in oakland specifically back in the heyday I think Broncos players would also tell you that going into Oakland was a very hostile place to go. Mm-hmm. They were getting things thrown, uh, words thrown at them as well, things thrown at them. Uh, and so that I completely agree. You, you outlined the Raiders fans perfectly. When you think of Chiefs fans, what do you think? Noise. Yeah. Now, yeah. on social media, I think, <laughs> They're one of the groups of people that I least like dealing with. Chiefs fans, Patriots fans, Cowboys fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mace, you mace them a lot. They give you plenty of opportunities to be maced, that's for sure. But Well, yeah, yeah and I've had to retire the, uh, the Chiefs <laughs> jokes now that they've yeah. won the Super Bowl. Yeah. I had a good run with them. And Chargers <laughs> jokes, it's just not the same because they don't have any – fan base yep yep when i think of chiefs i think that a very intimidating place to play not for different mm-hmm. reasons than the raiders yeah. because it's always packed it's always going to be loud always going to be hostile and mace yeah when you think of chargers fans what do you think i think of do you actually exist actually <laughs> i know one chargers fan wow the golden who actually who stayed with the team as it went up the highway 
But the biggest reason why he stayed with the team was that they still had Philip Rivers. And uh, well. there, were, there, there, there was a cluster of Chargers fans in San Diego and around the country and around the world even. Not big, but there was a cluster of Chargers fans who did stick with the team while Rivers was still the quarterback. There was still that connective tissue. So like, they, they go up the coast, and it's still pretty much the same team. And then it's just Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates and other guys are falling off, and then it's just Phillip Rivers. And now taking a look at the team, and I mean, you've got Hunter Henry and a few other guys, but there's nobody left that has that soulful, deep connection to San Diego. Right. No, there's none, and there's no fans either, Mason. So I may actually ask my friend today, because we haven't talked – we've talked about a lot of things. Most of our conversations are are, are political and coronavirus-related and baseball-related. I haven't asked him about where his loyalty stands, if – what he saw from the team the last few years is enough to keep him wearing Charger colors or if he's going to seek out a new team. <laughs> well, maybe, I mean, since you're wearing Charger colors, out. since you were in Charger colors today, maybe you, you took the Charger hey, colors right from That's him. That's Manchester City. <laughs> I mean, it's actually a, an, old, it's an old jersey from 10 years ago because it's got the old crest on it. But, that's yeah, this nice. is – not the old old crest, just the one they got rid of a few years ago. But yes, I, I'm I, I'm not calling this Charger blue. This is <laughs> Manchester City, or this is Carolina blue. This is oh. not Charger blue. They don't <laughs> own that color. Man, Mace trying to distance himself <laughs> as far as possible from the Chargers, <laughs> proving that there really are just no Charger fans. And guys, that was 35 minutes of getting mad while laughing through it. Mace, that was fun. That was that, that was fun. I've been sitting on that for about a week, and I wanted to unleash it. This was a good day to do it because I'm mad about the methodology. Look, I was even mad about the freaking lead of the story. Uh, yes, Come on. you were. <laughs> Come on, dude. Uh, Brian Diardo, do better than that, man. Do Come better. On. Come on, Brian. Do yeah. better than that. <laughs> I'm not saying everything I write is Shakespeare, okay? Some of it is outright crap. I'll, I'll admit that. Sometimes I'm just trying to make the subjects and verbs agree and go on to the next thing. But do better than the dictionary definition for a lead. I mean, it, it, it sounded like there was an episode of The Simpsons where there was the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence. And the presentation speech began with, Webster's Dictionary defines excellence as the quality of, or condition of being excellent. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, if The Simpsons is making fun of it, you probably don't want to go down yeah. that route. And I admit, somewhere in my past, like when I was in high school, I'm sure I used the dictionary lead, okay? It is, it's the laziest thing. But inevitably, as a writer, you grow past that. <laughs> yep, yep. And... If you need to cool down after this, this we get mad and this fun, well, might I suggest checking out DraftKings Sportsbook because, guys, they've only got fun there. Maybe a little mad if it doesn't play your way, but, guys, they're making it go your way. And, guys, golf is here. 
We have another full weekend of golf ahead of us. Although the trophy is reserved for the winner, the big cash winnings don't have to be. And to add to the excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with the sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. So if you weren't able to take advantage of last week's tournament, don't worry because the action's back on the course and DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to get all of your bets in for this weekend's tournament. So head to the app right now, check out all they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, and even hole-by-hole live betting. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, reliable, and secure, and you can withdraw your funds at your convenience. And guys, they'll be offering special odd boosts for the golf tournament this weekend. New users can get 50 to 1 odds on the top golfer to win prior to the start of the tournament. So check out everything DraftKings has to offer and download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DMVR when you sign up. And for a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget, enter the code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Muted. Ah, that was for you. <laughs> so let's say you've, uh, I misread the calendar, by the way. Man, Man City is not today, but that's all right. But let's say that you've gone on DraftKings and you placed a bet on Sheffield United and Man United, the Red Devils and the Blades, about to kick off as we record this. And you won. Congratulations. You want to celebrate, right? What better way to celebrate than with Breckenridge Brewery and Brewery and any of their fantastic array of brands. Remember, you can get the Mile High City 15 can pack at your local grocery store or over at our friends at Davidson's Liquors in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. Of course, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNBR and supporting our partners is supporting us during this crazy time. But as you know, or you may know, Breckenridge Brewery in Denver. It's not just about the beer, which is fantastic, of course. You get some of that mountain beach or that strawberry sky. You get a little bit of fruit infused with your beer. It's great for the summer. But they've also got the farmhouse, the restaurant down in Littleton. Now, it is open for seating if you call in and make reservations. But if you're not comfortable eating out just yet, why don't you pick up from the farmhouse? Use that code DNVR. And you can get $5 off your meal over at the farmhouse. You can go through Breckenridge Brewery's website to, to make sure you make that order. Or you can call them, 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickup. And they'll bring your order right out to the car for you. You can order food. You can order any of their Breck brews that they've got in season right now. And, of course, that 15-can sampler I mentioned, you can get that through Drizzly if you want to go online and let's say you're in a part of the country where they don't have the 15-can sampler. There's a good chance it's somewhere near you. They've got Breckenridge Brews. And I can tell you, I was up in Madison, Wisconsin last week, which, of course, has its astounding array of beer options from right there in the great state of Wisconsin. But you know what you could find right there? You could find Breckenridge Brews. I went on the Breck Brew Finder, found a place that had Strawberry Sky, and enjoyed those beautiful Midwest summer nights, the fireflies lighting up around me, a Strawberry Sky in my hand, the 
at times crisp air of the summer. We actually had a couple of nights like that, and the strawberry sky went down wonderfully with that. So wherever you are, maybe you're in the Midwest, maybe you're on the East Coast, maybe you're up in the great Northwest, you can find Breck Brews through the Breck Beer Locator on Breckenridge Brewery's website, and you can have a little bit of Colorado wherever you are. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. And May, something that goes very well with Breck Brews is barbecue. And let's talk about that with the listeners. Getting into the first comment coming in from Triad Bronco. Hey, y'all, since I barbecue just about every weekend here in North Carolina, I feel obligated to clarify a few things brought up in recent comments about North Carolina barbecue, quote, sauce. What is commonly referred to as barbecue sauce here is actually traditionally called the dip. The purpose of the dip in, in North Carolina barbecue is to to use it as a base while smoking and also to keep the meat moist after it is pulled. It is not meant to be the focal point of the meal. The pork is the focal point. And in North Carolina, barbecue equals pork and pork only. That is why the dip is thin and vinegar dominant. So when you say that North Carolina barbecue sauce isn't even a sauce, you're correct. It's not. It's a dip. This is not meant to come across as a rant. I'm just a big time football food nerd and love to try and spread information to people. Sorry about the length and boring some of y'all listeners. I'll see myself out. God bless. Mace, okay, well, are, I'm going to dive into I'm, lines? I'm diving into this a little bit because the term dip it's more popular in the Piedmont and that's where Triad Bronco is from. Uh, down in eastern North Carolina, which is you get over to where basically the fringe of that is Wake County around uh, Raleigh. Actually, Raleigh is in Wake County, but my family was based out in what used to be the rural part of Wake County. The suburbs have kind of caught up with it. We never called it dip. It's always sauce. <laughs> so, di- so, But uh, this also tells you just how fascinating the North Carolina barbecue scene is because terms and sauces are in regions because the kind of sauce that we use is in eastern North Carolina, what we use, it is strictly vinegar-based. There isn't a hint of ketchup to be found. You get toward the Piedmont, you start having some vinegar, and you start having some some ketchup involved with it. But yeah, we never called it uh, dip. We always called it sauce. So again, uh, dip is more of a term that that happens as you go west along I-40, and you get into the triad, and then you start getting up into the mountains as well. This is but this is part of what makes North Carolina so amazing for barbecue is that you have regional varieties within the region. And then, of course, you cross the border to South Carolina, and you have the mustard-based sauce as well. And this is – the other thing is some parts of North Carolina, they like to do the whole hog, and some parts just like to do the pork shoulder. <laughs> I, got, I got to tell you, if, if a barbecue place asked me if I want to dip on my, uh, my pork – I would think they were about to throw some chewing tobacco on it. So that, I certainly did not know that about, uh, about dip. But now I'm just getting cultured from you guys. So thanks for that triad, Bronco. Again, I mean, I hope somehow, some way, things get back to some sense of normal and we can uh, do the barbecue, the, the little barbecue trip through North Carolina before the Broncos-Panthers game. Oh man, that'd be something. That else. <laughs> that would be sensational. We just kind of go go around the state, you know. It's it's it, it be in December, so maybe we get lucky. The Tar Heels are 
at home for a basketball game and I can introduce you all to some real college basketball. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what that is here in Colorado. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Colorado. <laughs> oh my goodness orange and blue all over happy belated birthday mace well thank you appreciate it today's rona two swap looking at how a position group on the other side of the ball could fill in at a position wide receivers and cornerbacks would our wide receivers make a better corner group or would cornerbacks make better receivers any potential spudding Deion sanders is brewing that could actually be a starter on other the other side of the ball can consider or ignore scheme fit cheers fellas Ah, man, Brendan Langley's saying, why don't you have me on the team now? I provide so much value. (laughs) Oh, man, this is is an easy one, actually. Yeah. I'm going to go where the talent is. I'm going to go with the receivers being able to play cornerback, especially with the Broncos group. Okay, and I'm going to take the opposite. Oh. Because now, now, granted this, Almost every cornerback was moved from wide receiver to corner because they didn't have the hands that (laughs) you're expected to have at wide receiver, but you could still play. But, man, Champ Bailey was a corner who could play receiver. Yep. Deion Sanders was a corner who could play receiver. Delpha O'Neal was a corner they tried out at receiver. Even Brendan Langley, a cor- wait, a receiver, and then he was a corner, but then they moved him back to receiver. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure how that one went. The point being is that I'm going to take my chances that those corners can figure out receiver. That said, I still want them at corner, but they're playing two-way. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that that is fair because – some of some of the wide receivers may not have played corner and master corner, where, whereas a lot of the cornerbacks played wide receiver for a long time, mm-hmm. even if it was just growing up in the backyard. Um, but to me, there's just an overwhelming amount of talent in that receiving core, especially in the top three. Now, Court and Sutton may actually be just too big to be a corner, so maybe you're putting him back there at safety. But between Judy and Hamler, gosh, I got to keep think that they can at least keep up with anyone. That, that's why I'd go that way. But Mace, I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, this is the, – the, the other thing is the nature of corner is that it's uh, reactive. Right. Right. So it, it requires kind of a completely different set, it, a skill set than receiver. It's a fascinating discussion, though. Um, I'm also kind – of, the other thing, and I'm, I'm thinking back to my time covering the Arena Football League, and the guys – there was always like one offensive specialist who played wide receiver and one defensive specialist who played cornerback. But then you usually had another guy who played both. And as I recall, at least on the, on the teams that I covered in Tampa Bay, that the guy who was the receiver cornerback usually had a defensive background. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And they tried to figure it out on the offensive side. Yeah. Yeah. So again, leaning on the, Leaning on the late Tim Markham's philosophy again. There, there we go. All right, Mace. Here, here's quite the question coming in from TK Freeze. My boys! Okay, first off, Zach. No, I will absolutely not ever live in a world where Tom Brady is my goat. Not even for a second. That cheating, sun-kissing, son of a bee. Oh, all right, all right. Maybe it's getting to me. Talk is about it, We Get Mad Wednesday, right? Uh, seriously. Wow. From TK Freeze. Woo! Coming in hot. <laughs> he says he's overrated. Anyway. 
over or under on Pro Bowl Broncos next year? Last year we had three. So let's say over, under at four. Okay. Hmm. Mace, what? Well, let the, and then he leaves us a list and wants us to go through and say yes or no for every single one of these guys. And it's a long list. So, Mace, I'm going to read the name. You say yes or no, and then we'll count up how many at the end we have. All right. You ready to go All through right. this list? Let's go. AJ Johnson. Yes. Kareem Jackson. No. Justin Simmons. Yes. AJ Boye. No. Bryce Callahan. No. Von Miller. Yes. Jarrell Casey. No. Shelby Harris. No. Bradley Chubb. Yes. KJ Hamler. No. Jerry Judy. No. Cortland Sutton. Yes. Noah Fant. No, because there are too many good tight ends in the AFC, although I think he'll push them. Melvin Gordon. No. Philip Lindsay. No. Dalton Reisner. He's going to play at a Pro Bowl level, but he won't crack it this year because guard is reputation-based. Lloyd Cushenberry. No. Graham Glasgow. No. Juwan James. No. And of course, and finally, Drew Locke. Not in the original selection, maybe if quarterbacks pull out. Mm. So I'm going to say no. No. Okay, well, Mace, that puts you to five. Five. So take the over, and boy, would that be a good year for the Broncos. Okay, how many of those guys do you like for the Pro Bowl? I mean, I'm not going to rattle them off, but who do you like as Pro Bowlers, Zach? I like – I just – I think statistics-wise, A.J. Johnson, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons aren't going to get it again. So I'll take one of those three, and I believe you took two of those three. Uh Um, Von Miller is a name. Uh, A guy that you didn't have that I would probably have is Jarrell Casey. Um, I think he's going to benefit like no other from having Vaughn and Bradley Chubb on each side. Um, I don't have an issue with saying yes to Bradley Chubb, but uh, I also wouldn't have an issue if you said no right now, just because we also are giving it to Vaughn and I'm giving it to Casey as well. Um, And Cortland Sutton may be hurt by the fact that the Broncos significantly upgraded at the other receiver positions and they have a tight end and they have guys coming out of the backfield. So just the numbers for the Pro Bowl may not be there. But Mace, I'm, I'm, I'm taking – if it's three and a half, I'm definitely taking the over there. I think the Broncos might actually kind of cannibalize themselves with – especially on the offensive side of the ball with just how spread out the ball could be. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. The one thing for Cortland Sutton is, is that Drew Locke's already got that trust in him. Right. And even though he's a deep threat – because he's so damn good at going up and getting the ball, he's a little bit of a security blanket, and that's going to give him plenty of opportunities, I think. The other thing, both you and I are talking about three or four defensive pro bowlers, and yet so much of the discussion about the Broncos is the excitement about the offense, yet in terms of the proven talent, the defense is still where it's at for this team. Yep. The offensive talent is a lot less proven in spots, and you still have questions. The defensive talent, you've got maybe questions about cornerback depth, but you can't question the overall talent on that side of the ball. And that's why, you know, when it comes down to brass tacks, I think this team is going to lean on the D because it's going to be a little more reliable than the offense, which I think will show some flashes of brilliance, but also have some consistency issues that usually go along with young teams yep. and young I- units. 
Yep, I, could, I couldn't agree more, Mace. That shift is happening with the Broncos right now where the offense is starting to take over, but it is still very much in the beginning of that shift. This is very much a defensive football team. And just look at the money. The number one paid defense in the league. That tells you all you need to know right there. But this is what's exciting about this is they should be relying on the defense, but they don't have to fully rely on the defense like they have in the past few years. They have enough firepower on offense where it can explode and win games when the defense has poor games and at least be able to do enough so the defense doesn't have to, you know, get a pick six or a score each game in order to win. All righty. Count Locula, your challenge, take any non-quarterback from another team for this year only to make enough of an impact that the Broncos could possibly win the Super Bowl. No contract restrictions, et cetera, but if you were to bring them on, they will take up a roster spot and force a current starter to ride the pine. Don't be fooled by thinking a tackle will win a Super Bowl either, or will they? It's your choice, but choose wisely. Easy. Love the count. Easy. Easy. Aaron Donald. And holy cow, Aaron Donald, Jarrell Casey, Shelby Harris, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. That is potentially just a Pro Bowl, an all-pro roster right there. And you would have that for 16 games this year. Wow. Okay. I understand what you're getting at, and I thought long and hard about Aaron Donald, and I love Aaron Donald. But, but <laughs> you you should have a pretty good interior pass rush. Here's what I'm doing. Stephon Gilmore, defensive player of the year, mm. in place of Bryce Callahan. Mm. And my cornerbacks are AJ Boye and Gilmore. And then maybe you're sliding Callahan into the slot. Yeah, he's he's knocked back to. Technically, the bench, even though he's going to play, he just won't be listed on the official depth chart starting lineup because you're listing two cornerbacks. But yeah, that I, would that and if that if you gave me if you gave this defense Gilmore, then plan the parade. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the number one defense in football, and if the offense with Drew Lock, even with the inconsistency of young talent. If the offense ends up being middle of the pack with the good games and the bad games kind of balancing each other out, then I still think you're, you're getting ready for another Lombardi sitting in that trophy chest down at uh, Dove Valley. Yeah, and I, th- I think if you add Aaron Donald to this team, your defense can be – or your offense can be bad because teams just won't be able to score. And the Chiefs will actually have major issues because – Patrick Mahomes won't have any, any time. So, Mace, I I think they're both good choices there. And another good choice that you can make right now is head over to thednvr.com and check out our Colorado Raptors coverage. Guys, we got our reporter Colton Strickler taking you through the game, taking you through the Raptors themselves, teaching you basic things about rugby. He breaks it down in basic 101 pods. He's got awesome articles there talking about the game, breaking down the team, and also talking about the history of the team and also telling you what games to watch in order to learn this game. So it's a great place to go, not only to learn the Raptors, but to learn about rugby itself. So make sure you check out everything that we have to offer here at ddnvr.com on the website at ddnvr.com on Twitter, DNVR Raptors, follow our guy Colton Strickler on Twitter as well. 
and make sure you also check them out on their podcast dnvr raptors great stuff going on there and with sports coming back always a great time to learn another sport so make sure you check out our colorado raptors coverage on ddnvr.com you know, I almost wore a rugby shirt today. I have a New Zealand All Blacks uh, rugby shirt. Of course, that's oh. what they call the the team because they wear you know black jerseys and black shorts and black socks, and you know they're, you know, they're a historically great national rugby side. So, man, I wear that, that probably wear that tomorrow because you got me thinking about uh, rugby with the Colorado Raptors, and I've been watching a little bit of uh, NRL from Australia over the last few weeks as well. So, that sounds like an awesome shirt. Yeah, it's thank my wife for getting it when she went down to uh, a New Zealand many years ago. I've been wearing it for a while. So, but other sports, let's say you want to play golf, but you can't get to the course today. You just can't. You're working. You're, you know, you're taking care of the kids, whatever. Well, if you want to still play some of the great golf courses in the world, that's where. WGT World Golf Tour Golf, a game that you can download for any of your devices and even play on your computer as well. It comes into play. WGT Golf. It's not only the most popular golf game in the world, but it is the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download WGT and join the DNVR2 Clubhouse by going to dnvrgolf.com. Of course, the DNVR Clubhouse is full, but we set up the DNVR2 Clubhouse, and you have access to the same competitions, the same fun that we're having over in the DNVR Clubhouse in DNVR2. Now, WGT Golf, you haven't heard of it. It is the most realistic pre-golf game you'll find. It's loved by more than 20 million players around the world. You can play it on your devices. I play it on my iPad to get that nice big screen. And there's all sorts of ways you can play. You want to play closest to the hole, you got it. If you want to do full stroke play, you can do it. You can play on some of the great courses around the globe. Pebble Beach, Beth Page Black, St. Andrews, Wolf Creek. And one that I, I like playing, even though it's tough, The it's created by the late great diabolical Pete Dine. That is the ocean course at Kiowa Island where they're going to have the PGA championship next year. Some consider it the greatest golf course in the world, but you've got other outstanding options there on WGT golf. You can even play top golf. If you've been missing that and going for the targets, they have the top golf game mode and you can get that experience right there on the app. And if you want to play with the brands that you've been playing, that you play with in real life, you can upgrade your game. You can play with Callaway, Ping, Titleist, Taylor, TaylorMade, and more. Virtual versions of these right there on the WGT Golf app. Make sure you go to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT Golf today. All right. Next one coming in from Love Thunder Down Under. Man, Brandon Stokely went full RK with his Gordon comment on Twitter. <laughs> Poor Melvin doesn't realize who he is picking a fight with. You mess with Stoke, you'll get the forehead. And just remember, Mace, you're still only half the age of the count. <laughs> ah, Stokely's making quite a name for himself, and I mean that in a good way. We all, we all love Stoke. <laughs> oh, yeah, love, love Brandon Stokely. And for those who missed it, uh, he just he, he said his honest feelings about that the Broncos overpaid uh, for Melvin Gordon and could have spent money somewhere else. And I think a lot of people felt that in Broncos country. He put that out there on Twitter, and Melvin Gordon responded to him saying, uh, you know, he's underpaid and that Stoke shouldn't be talking about his own business. And they just went back and forth on Twitter for a minute. You know what? And one reason why Stoke is getting so good at what he does is that 
a lot of players, when they get into media, they have trouble with the notion that you're going to tick current players off from time to time. Right. If you're not ticking anybody off, then you're, frankly, you're not doing your job. Right. Because you got to have opinions, and these opinions aren't necessarily going to be what players want to hear. And so uh, I, ha- I chuckled at that, but it, that back and forth, that repartee, also showed me why Stoke kind of gets this part of the business and uh, why he's been able to kind of distance himself from the player from the player side so well and make that transition to media and why he's one of the best that we've got in this market. Yeah, he is absolutely tremendous. Absolutely. Next one coming in from Dan Burke. He says, what are y'all's thoughts on Draymond Jones? He's someone I don't see getting much love from the fans, but I'm pretty excited about him. I think he was a better overall player as a rookie than Quinnen Williams, Jerry Tillery, and Christian Wilkins, and about on par with Ed Oliver, which is pretty impressive considering he played fewer snaps than most of those guys and was a third-round pick. Did you like what y'all saw? I thought it was incredibly promising what we saw from Draymond Jones once he got in there in the second half in the, in the second half of the season. Um, very efficient in terms of being able to to, to generate to generate a pass rush and, and take advantage of the snaps that 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 he was that he was getting. So, a hundred a hundred percent, I thought uh, Draymond Jones was certainly trending in in the right direction and uh, was averaging basically about a half sack per game over the course of uh, the second half per year in terms of the games in which he played. Just real positive sign for him going forward. I, I think you, you have to be excited about him, even though with Draymond Jones, there's not a starting spot for him. There's going to be a role for him. The other thing I love about Draymond Jones is this. Jarrell Casey coming in, that's perfect. Because Draymond Jones, his skill set, his potential, Jarrell Casey is sort of the high end of that, but there's somebody who has a skill set that is similar to where Draymond Jones is now, and he can learn a lot by being around Jarrell Casey and watching him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. An excellent, excellent mentor for him. And uh, he's going to be the first one off the bench. He said he doesn't have a starting role, which is correct, but he's going to be the first one off the bench on that defensive line. And I think he plays a significant amount this year. And I think he's going to be a force because just like you said, Dan, I loved what I saw from him last year. Didn't get tons of playing time, but when he did, he was a force, uh, including having an interception, multiple sacks, winning AFC defensive player of the week. Just incredible. So yeah, I love what he, what he brings to the team. All right, next one coming in from World of Suck. There hasn't been much talk about the supplemental draft in the past month or so, but with the growing pessimism surrounding college football this season, it seems like consideration of the supplemental draft should be rising to the surface again. In the past couple of years, the draft has taken place around July 10th, which is right around the corner. Do you think there will be a supplemental draft? Do you think that the Broncos will try to snag a player in it? Well, there's always going to be a supplemental draft, even if the players aren't prominent. The question now is, will there be prominent players? And now the league has reportedly been discouraging players from coming out just because of the pandemic and concerns about it. But we are hitting the deadline or close to it. It's not something that's publicly known but uh, the deadline for declaring is usually late June, early July, and that's right around July 10th. So uh, 
I think the fact that you haven't seen guys come out and publicly declare means that uh, the temperature on it has cooled a little bit. But at the same time, with the outbreaks that we're seeing on college teams, it's a situation that could change rapidly. So if the if you have some guys declaring, I think the Broncos may take a long look at it. The way it looks right now, as of today, I don't think they'll take a player. Yeah, it all depends on who's out there. And we haven't seen any big names say that they're declaring for it. So that's why it hasn't been a big story. But of course, if even just one big name declares for it, then you know we'll be covering it. But right now, it's not just like uh, players get picked that haven't declared and and it's a shock that the Broncos just got their future left tackle. No, we'll know that those players are going into the supplemental draft, and, and I imagine that's got to be coming up soon. So we're definitely keeping our eye on it, but there is a reason that we haven't talked about it much, world and stuff. Yep. And then, finally, the other Ryan. My boys! Happy hump day, and we get Mad Wednesday. Mace, for some reason, I thought your birthday was on Monday, not yesterday. My apologies. Oh, no worries, man. What did you end up having for your birthday dinner and dessert? So despite the less than ideal circumstances, I hope that you still had an enjoyable celebration. Well, I did. Just with the family, my wife made me some shrimp creole for dinner and then some bruschetta and some garlic dill bread, which was incredible. Oh, my gosh. That sounds and then for, so good. And then for dessert, cake. And there is this recipe that is in my wife's family that they got from a bakery in Wisconsin. and. The cake is amazing, but the frosting on it, this buttercream frosting, it's it's so good that I'm sure it's fattening. <laughs> it's the best frosting I've ever had. Mm, you're killing oh, I could go for that whole goodness. meal right now in a heartbeat. Oh, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna go have some leftover cake right after I finish this. So. <laughs> well we must wrap up now then. <laughs> oh boy, but it was great. It was it was obviously not the usual thing because typically on my birthday we're either at the beach, at a baseball game, up in the mountains of North Carolina. Instead we were just back here in Denver hanging out, but it it's all you know, we're all getting close to our families and we're all um we're all kind of uh, reconnecting in terms of uh, ties that have uh, fr- that may have frayed a little bit over time. It's so not that a pandemic is anything anybody wants, but uh, I think we're all find, trying to find the positives in it. And uh, it was a it was a wonderful day. So well, I, well, I glad, appreciate everything the family did. I'm glad to hear that that you made the best of it, Mason. Man, oh, that piece of cake for me, that's for sure. All right. Anyway. Back to the other Ryan. With baseball finally scheduled to commence in a previous podcast discussion about Shelby Harris being clutch in end-of-game situations, it got me thinking, who are the top three closers currently on the Broncos roster and who are the top three all-time? I'm going with the aforementioned Harris, who has closed out three games for the Broncos in each of his three seasons with the, with the team, 2017 at home against the Chargers, 2018 at home against the Steelers, and 2019 at home against the Raiders. My other current top closer are Justin Simmons and Vaughn Miller. All time, I have to go with Terrell Davis, Miller, and Randy Gratishar. I did not include John Elway and Peyton Manning as closers because of how often they dominated games from start to finish or led comeback victories rather than ceiling victories, although a contrary argument could be made in that respect. As always, I extend my appreciation and gratitude to each of you for these podcasts and for entertaining my comments and questions. DNV Army salute. Okay. I've got to throw one name in on the all-time closer list that I would add to those guys. I do too. Champ Bailey. Ah, yeah. That's a, that's a great name to add. 
And although th this one is obvious, the other rhyme didn't include it, so I have to. And he, and he talked about why he didn't include it, but John Elway, he, he was Mr. Fourth Quarter. And it, yes, he did have a lot of good games, but he also had a lot of games where he was not good in the first three quarters. And then, boom, fourth quarter, it was money time. It was like Tim Tebow. Uh, honestly turned it around and led comeback after comeback after comeback so John would be on there and speaking of playing really bad in the first three quarters and turning it on in the fourth quarter Mace it was only one season but Tim, you, you gotta mention Timmy's name you gotta mention Tim Tebow I mean he was about as clutch as it <laughs> came for without winning the big game it it didn't matter how bad he was what the circumstances were he got the job done so I mean Maybe I'm just throwing him right in there. And then you also have to put Von Miller in there. Uh, and it, it's very important when he was clutching at the end of games, Super Bowls. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting the, th those are my top three. How about that? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, Tebow's a good choice because really didn't have it before the end of the games at times. But boy, at the end some something happened and so and actually by the way and this is sort of hand in hand with tebow a guy who's come up an awful lot on recent podcasts matt prater was a yeah. closer yeah yeah Brandon i think McManus. back yeah i think back to that bears game in 2011 when marion barber stepped out of bounds so you had that little bit of luck there that allowed the broncos to get the ball back and he hits the kick to, from 59 yards to tie the game and then he hits the the long kick in overtime and he had the game winning kick in overtime against the chargers earlier that year and the game winning 50 plus kick in miami earlier that year matt prater matt prater sealed his bona fides as a closer that year yeah and by the way, we got one more comment in under the wire from Yellow Mustard. <laughs> While I disagree with his Yellow Mustard take, Mesa's barbecue rankings were 100% correct. Carolina barbecue is phenomenal and criminally underrated here in Colorado. Again, that's why I, got, I really want to take you guys on the, the great Carolina barbecue tour. I mean, yeah, yeah I do mean, I can't go wrong with barbecue. And I, I do have to say that. Yeah, it, Carolina barbecue is not something ever talked about here in Colorado. No, because you think more about Texas and Kansas City. And admittedly, we're closer to Kansas City. We're just down I-70, basically. And there's been more migration and more kind of cross-cultural pollination between Texas and Colorado than there is between North Carolina and Colorado. Yeah. But the, other, the thing to remember about Kansas City is this. What makes Kansas City barbecue is that it is an amalgamation of styles and influences because in Kansas City barbecue, you can get pork you can, which is, and you can get Carolina-style stuff in Kansas City. You can get that brisket that is famous in Texas, and then you, you get the ribs that, that are cousins of what you get in Memphis and St. Louis as well. Kansas City, that barbecue style, what makes it distinct is that it brings everything together. Right. So, I mean, I am an evangelist for Carolina barbecue and the various iterations of it as you go around the Carolinas. But I, I'm not sitting here saying I'm going to turn down Alabama barbecue or <laughs> Memphis barbecue or St. Louis spare ribs or Texas barbecue. It's one of those things where 
it's all good. It's, you know, like, like California is all good from Diego to the Bay barbecue. It's all good. Whether you're talking about Carolina, Texas, KC, Memphis, Alabama, wherever you want to go. It sounds so good right now, Mason. I'm getting a little mad because I can't have any right now. And man, I can't have any, uh, any of that bruschetta, any of that cake. It sounds so good. And man, what a way to cap off. I didn't get this belly for nothing, folks. A lot of effort. (laughs) Oh, delicious effort there, too. And before we get out of here, I got to tell you guys about WGT Golf again. Guys, I kid you not, this has been my favorite game for the past decade almost. And it is an awesome golf game. It's the best and most popular golf game out there. And it's the official gaming partner of DNVR. And we want you guys to play with us. And how you can download the app is go to dnvrgolf.com. Make sure to go there instead of the app store because then WGT knows that you want to play with us. Download the app, get in, and join the DNVR2 clubhouse. You'll get the same benefits as being in the DNVR clubhouse but this one is just has some room for you. So DNVR2 Clubhouse, uh, we've got a tournament coming up this weekend, I believe. And guys, it is so much fun to play with everyone in the community, but also just to play on your own. It is so realistic. It's free. You can play real golf courses, including Pebble Beach, Beth Page, Black, St. Andrews, Bandon Dunes, Wolf Creek, and so many more. And you can also compete head-to-head with members from the DNVR community. So make sure to download WGT Golf app Uh, by going to dnvrgolf.com. Well, for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us on this We Get Mad Wednesday as we talk about Broncos and life. And man, I'm so honored that Mace, you roll with me every day and that all of you roll with me every day. Thank you guys so much. Happy hump day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, 
It's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code free, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code free. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code free. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors, LLC, and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks.